For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15-10-5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. What is going on, Pac-12 fans? If you're not a Pac-12 fan, college football fan. If you're not a college football fan, well, thanks for tuning in to Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network, along with Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. Delighted to be with you on what will either be a Monday evening, Tuesday morning, depending on when you're listening. But no matter when you're listening, how you're listening, or where you're listening, all of us here at Believe appreciate you making us a part of your listening plans. Ryan Leaf, SiriusXM uh, broadcaster. Joining me here for episode number two of our second season together, talking Pac-12 football. And Ryan, what a first week. Two games canceled. Uh, well, maybe on Thursday we'll get to the potentials uh, of this upcoming week, but two games still canceled. Four games on the docket. Um, and I think that they all went exactly how you thought that they, that they would go, with the exception of that maybe that Colorado-UCLA game. Yeah, I was uh, I was really surprised. Uh and if you're not a Pac-12 fan or a college football fan, but you're just a Ryan Leaf fan, I appreciate you listening as right, well. Right, the Ryan uh, Leaf fans. Of what about me? I don't. I don't have that many fans. <laughs> you have enough. You have enough, and they and they're your mom, Hi, mom. Dad, or, or whatever, uh, or your family. They're, they're the ones that are listening. Okay, so you and I, I think we're along the lines everywhere, uh, except you know, I went with Washington State just because they're my alma mater, and I, I, I had hope in in Rolo's offense, and and we saw what they're capable of doing, and that freshman quarterback. Uh, can get it done. Delora is is pretty special for a true freshman, and they still have all those great um, position players, wide receiver skill position players that are playing. Uh, McIntosh looked great running the football. I cannot wait till Max Borgie starts toting the rock maybe 30 times in a game. Wait till we see that. Um, Colorado surprised me. Yeah, you know, Sam Neuer playing his tail off, and they got out to a big lead early. And like always, Chip Kelly and that UCLA team and DTR decide to kind of come back and do some things. But uh, for the most part, everything kind of played out how we thought. There's no way in hell that we thought USC was going to be held to 27 points and only have 13 going into or 14 going into, you know, five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So, you know, we got some fun stuff to talk about. The fact that two games didn't get played before uh, the season has even started. That's troublesome uh, for this conference, and I have a pretty strong opinion on what this conference should do moving forward. And as we're recording this, 
John Wilner up for the um, Mercury News, one of the best sources for any Pac-12 anything. This guy is on his stuff. Has actually just come out with the coronavirus report for this week. Currently, Utah and Washington State both have four-plus cases. Cal only has those two cases that canceled their game last week, but apparently those two students had coronavirus 90 days prior to the actual they got they they tested positive for the antibody and so apparently berkeley the berkeley county um health and safety board wouldn't let cal play but washington would be able to play even though they also had one one coronavirus case right so it's county by county there's no consistency there's no fluidity ryan maybe you give us a tidbit on what you think should be done here because you know, conference by conference, we're seeing different things, right? Trevor Lawrence went to Notre Dame and wasn't allowed to play, but he was on the sideline with the team. Yeah, he had to pass what their next protocol was, was a cardiac test. So that was something he wasn't going to be able to do before that game started and, and he got to play. So there are different protocols for every conference, uh, in particular, California and county wise, right? The city of Berkeley, which has always been a problem in anything. If you want to, you know, if you want to put gravel down in your driveway or it, it takes months or years to get that uh you know rubber stamped so this is a this is a berkeley problem and they're not going to they're they're about as liberal as you can imagine when it comes to this uh disease and they're not gonna the way wilner put it which i thought was very he's like so if i tested positive or if i was next to somebody who had tested positive and I went into quarantine, and for 13 consecutive days, I tested negative. Could I play on that 14th day? And they said, no, you still would have to be quarantined for the 14th day before you could then play. That's This is a citywide ordinance. So I know that Coach Wilcox and the Cal team are looking for other alternatives. They're looking at going outside of that city to be able to be and compete. Uh, because they're they probably have one of the most competitive and 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 best teams in the conference, uh, and if they're not able to compete, I mean they're out of the conversation right now. All four of the teams that didn't play are out of the conversation when it comes to the college football playoff, in my opinion. Um, and I, after watching Saturday, other than maybe Oregon, because of what they recruited and who they got to get out there and play, and Tyler Shuck doing what he needed to do. They may be the only one that could get a look at seven and zero. But right now, I put out my top ten this week. I wanted to wait till I saw every team play. Um, a Pac-12 team wasn't in my top ten uh, this week, and Oregon's going to have to prove a little bit more. But they were they were definitely the best of the of the Pac-12 this weekend. We'll get into the four games. Well, you we, you sort of went into the Washington State, Oregon State games. Maybe we'll touch on it again briefly here in a couple of minutes. But before we get into that, college football playoff, right? Oregon, you said, was probably the only team with a realistic chance of going 7-0, and especially with how the North is looking, especially if they're going to be able to get a couple of games under their belt when Washington and Cal have to keep delaying the start to their season. So... Uh, Paul Saban, who's an ESPN analytics guy, they do a great job over there um, out in Bristol, put together or put out the all-state playoff predictor. It has Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Wisconsin in that order. They have Alabama at 87%, Ohio State at 75%, as well as Clemson, Wisconsin at 47%, Georgia at 24%. Then it goes Notre Dame, Oregon, SC, BYU, Oklahoma State. I'm confused, number one, 
why Wisconsin would have a better shot than Oregon. I don't know what they have as variables in this algorithm because I've 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 thrown Wisconsin out. They're no longer in the conversation. If they go, if they win the Big Ten, I mean, if they beat Ohio State and are undefeated, I don't even think they can, they can't get to the Big Ten championship now with two games gone. I mean, you go by wins, right? Not by losses. So if they don't have enough wins to qualify to go to the Big Ten championship, they're out of the conversation. So I don't I don't get that that reasoning either. For me, uh, there is five teams realistically. This is this is where it could get interesting in the college football playoff, right? Florida goes to the SEC championship, beats Alabama. Then you have a Texas A&M team that beat Florida, a Florida team that beat Alabama, and an Alabama team that beat Texas A&M, all with one loss. Florida, the SEC champ, right. I assume gets in, right? But what's stopping the committee from going, how can we keep Alabama out? I mean, they lost in the SEC championship. They are as good as anybody. Texas A&M's only loss and is to Alabama, who we think is great. But they don't, don't get to like the they don't get to the SEC championship though, so I guess that would put A and M that would in, that would at a disadvantage. It would put them at a disadvantage, but would it be less of a disadvantage than to going and losing Alabama? Well, so, I mean that's the catch twenty two. That ga- that yeah. game may end up being meaningless for them, and that's the question here now. Clemson lost the Notre Dame, right? Clemson lost the Notre Dame. Odds are they're probably going to meet again. Don't get me wrong. It was not the Clemson offense with DJ Uyunglele. That was the problem in that game. It was the defense. But, no. but but if you if they match up in the in the playoff and Clemson wins with some style points, and Notre Dame is a one loss team to the ACC champ, how do you factor in an Oregon team that is seven and zero? And again. The ACC is stronger, right? UNC, Miami, Virginia Tech have all been ranked. Obviously, uh, Clemson and Notre Dame, and then you have the bottom here and there going in and out. The Pac-12 is USC and Oregon right now, right? Arizona State's still not ranked. Oregon's not going to match up with Arizona State. Nobody in the North is going to be ranked, and Oregon plays Washington the last game of the season, so maybe that's their last hope, so maybe strength of schedule isn't there. So is a 7-0 Oregon team, albeit maybe a top-8 win against USC if that happens in the championship, is that even strong enough to 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 give them the benefit over a one-loss Notre Dame, a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Florida, or an unbeaten Ohio State? It's not going to be easy, and this is where... I think the Pac-12 messed up. I know they were rut. They they wanted to get back. They put out a sixth poss- six game season with a, a seventh with a championship to get under the deadline of the college football playoff. I don't know if that's reality. And all joking aside, right? They've played in the the playoff one time. They've been excluded uh, the majority of the time um, because of inability to to have a good enough team um, capable of playing in it. I would have gotten a full season in. I would have either opened up where it was more games allowed for uh, postponements, not cancellations, because you're looking at now the likes of those four teams with only six, six games, if they play it. And there's a real chance that Utah doesn't play this weekend with what they're going through, not only in that locker room, but in that state, uh, it, it's it's exploding in this country. And if they are going to be as stringent about things as the Pac-12 says they are, there's a re- realistically good chance that Utah doesn't play this week, which means another game 
goes away and they're in the Wisconsin situation. So uh, I would have played as many games as you could play, allow for um, postponements if it goes into it, as long as you're done by, you know, around the 1st of January so you can have a Rose Bowl. That's that's what I would have done because I'd, I I think I think the college football playoffs a pipe dream. Uh, but or I don't want to take anything away from Oregon because they have a chance, right? To your point, though, the only win they may have when it's all said and done, uh, and it wouldn't need to be as a uh, Pac-12 championship win over USC uh, in the Pac-12 championship. But the fa- but USC getting to un- be undefeated at the same time is difficult. They shouldn't even have won on Saturday. Yep, we'll get into that more. Well, I mean, let's do it, right? I think that I mean, look, USC came in; they didn't have to play to be number, ranked twentieth coming into the season. I sang the praises of Arizona State. I said that they were going to lose in a close game, but we both thought that this was going to be run up, right? Forty-five, thirty-eight, forty-five, thirty-five. It was twenty-eight, twenty-seven, and USC had to score fourteen points in the final five minutes of the game to come back and win this game. First of all, the fact that Jaden Daniels led. Arizona State in rushing 11 for 111 is not is not the key to success here. I, USC's front seven was a bit pretty lackluster, um, and Jaden Daniels overall wasn't very good. 11 for 23, a, a buck 34 passing and a touchdown. Um, I know that Frank Darby went down in the first quarter, and that may have affected the passing game. But overall, I mean, if you looked at just the stats alone, you didn't know the score of this game. You would have thought that USC did in fact win by without looking at the touchdown total, obviously by probably you know a 10 or, or 15 points. For you, Ryan, everybody was was singing the praise of Arizona, Arizona State at halftime, obviously. They're winning the game. Then they go up by two touchdowns, and, and USC comes back in that fourth quarter. Um, Keaton Slovis looked phenomenal. Is USC going to go unbeatable after if they can capitalize on in the South, I should say, if they can capitalize on how they ended that Arizona State game? Because that was indicative of the USC that we saw in the latter half of last season, season as well. Yeah, their schedule really – that was going to be, I think, the most difficult game for them until the Pac-12 championship. They play Utah in a couple weeks. That's always a tough football game because of how physical they are. But if you look at the rest of their schedule, it's it's cupcakes. Washington State may be better than we think, and that may give them some trouble. But, you know, there's a good chance they could be 6-0. and And if that's the case, uh, I don't think it's because they're that great. Keaton Slovis didn't – the last the last throw was special. Uh, he had to throw it. It was fourth down, and he put it on the money, and it was a great catch by London to win that football game. But he, he didn't look great throughout the game. In fact, he kind of looked like most air raid quarterbacks in a Mike Leach system over the years. You know, you can, you can throw a couple picks, but you're going to throw it a ton of times, and if you get the opportunity, you get a chance to maybe possibly win the game. Right. And that's because Arizona State simply got conservative and thought they had it in the bag. Uh, fourth down, uh, a tip pass. Amon Ross Brown makes a catch, and then they get the ball back after terrible, terrible clock management by Herm Edwards, who's always so good at that. Um, uh, that was really surprising to give him the ball back with so much time and not get it done um, was huge. And uh, USC made the most of it. Clay Helton was going to be fired on the tarmac. Uh, they were going to make one before the game was over. And now, again, he's just given this another another opportunity. They found a way to save it, and off they go. You know, they I don't I don't see them with the schedule they have with much difficulty. But maybe Utah, and we'll see where Washington State is. We don't know how how good Oregon State was. There was a lot of hype, but it didn't didn't look very special. 
uh, in terms of skill position players in the quarterback, but Jamar Jefferson is as good as they get. Yeah, next week at Arizona, at Utah. That's a seven, That's the Pac-12 after dark game. That's scheduled for 7.30 in two weeks. And then Colorado, Washington State at home at UCLA, which is basically a home game. Actually, well, obviously, without fans, it that would be a home game. But when you have to go to Colorado or Arizona or Utah, Utah especially, that is not a home game even with no fans. It's Utah. Like, it's cold. You're at it's going to be cold. It's going to be really – because it's later in the year, too. It's going to yep. be cold. It's, it's going to be really cold. Start. So it's an 8.30 start in Utah, too. So that's going to be – that will be a challenging game if Utah can maybe get a game. I mean, they may not be able to play if they can up get until that to game. play. Right? Yeah, that right. might be their season opener. <laughs> Man, it's it's tough. Uh, just just I wanted to make sure that the numbers I said were correct. Yeah. So John Wilner, UCLA has one coronavirus. Utah currently has six within the team itself. Um, and both those teams were they were supposed to play on Friday, push the game back to Saturday. It's up in the air. Um, but we'll get to that on Thursday when we break down the upcoming week because we'll probably have more information on that game in general. So USC beat Arizona State 28-27. to um, Arizona State, look, there were there were plenty of positives to take away from this. Jaden Daniels was shifty as ever. Um, he was pretty meticulous. They didn't really let him – they didn't really unload the playbook on him. Everything was pretty cerebral and meticulous offensively. Uh, what do you like from Arizona State in this game? I like the way they ran the football. I mean, they didn't need to do anything more. They just absolutely blew it. They had this in the in 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 the bag, fourth and forever. And they throw a tipped touchdown pass to get him back in, and then kick an onside kick. Right? I mean, these are things that that you should you know first game out. You haven't prepared probably enough for it. But if you watch the onside kick, no one did anything. It almost seemed like that Atlanta Dallas. Uh, NFL game where Atlanta didn't realize they could go get the ball. They waited for it to come. And of course it got tipped and moved out of the way and, and, and USC was able to get it. There's, there's no reason why USC should, USC should have won that football game. Uh, uh, Colin Coward said something really, really funny this week. He said, it wouldn't have surprised me. And I would have uh, said that it was well warranted if Herm Edwards would have just absolutely thrown up on the sideline on national TV, because that's exactly what happened. I mean, they just threw up all over themselves. They ran the ball better. They were more physical. Everything uh, was falling on the side of Arizona State. Marvin Lewis's uh, fingerprints were all over that defense with the help of Antonio Pierce. They are going to be something special defensively, and I think they'll get better offensively. Arizona State's the best, best uh, I think, might be the best team in the South that ultimately might not win the South because they blew this game. Yeah, I completely agree. And it didn't help that my boy, Johnny Wilson, who I've been singing the praises of, the freshman wide receiver, sixth ranked in the country, had four drop passes uh, in that game. But you know who did show up was Diamante Traynum, who was the uh, four-star freshman running back from Akron, Ohio. He had those two rushing touchdowns uh, for ASU. So some pretty good some pretty good freshman play in this game and some pretty bad freshman play in this game. Yeah, Joe Clatt made that comment about how did, how did Ohio State let a kid from Akron with that size and that speed, that shows you how much Antonio Pierce, Marvin Lewis, and Herm Edwards. I bet you effect. Marvin Lewis. I bet you Marvin Lewis had a connection from his days in Cincinnati. I would bet anything. Their effect, yeah, their effect in recruiting is going to be substantial, and it showed up. But you got to win, right? You got to win these games. This is year three. You know, Ray Anderson was talking about they want to be a, a perennial top fifteen football team, and. You can't do it if you lose games like that against a USC team that you have to win to show show who you are in this conference. 
they did come out as the 18th ranked basketball team in the nation today, which is the highest of any Pac-12 team. So at least they have that. Uh, game number two of the day featured the Oregon Ducks taking on the David Davis Millis, Milless, Stanford Cardinal. Oregon ended up obviously winning. Um, you and I had set like a field goal because we didn't know the circumstances. I'm not sure if the circumstances would have changed that much. Oregon went 35-14. Tyler Shuck, 227, a touchdown. C.J. Verdell had his 20 carries. I will say, though, I was not impressed with Oregon's front seven. I think that that was really lacking. Um, and against a freshman, a true freshman and a redshirt sophomore, you'd think that they would be able, who were thrown into the game 90 minutes prior to kickoff, uh, you'd think that they would have been a little bit more prepared or at least a little bit more assertive. So for me, for the Ducks, I think that was my biggest takeaway and critique from this game. Yeah, uh, was a little disappointed in, in, in the seven. Sewell for me was I just watched him all night. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a Tasmanian devil back there making plays. I will say that first game, uh, new defense in terms of players and what they were going to do. Uh, ultimately, they they held them down. You know, Jet Toner misses four field goals. That game could be a little different. It could have been a little different if some of those field goals go through and they have some mo you know motivation and and uh, you know. You know, they're moving forward. But uh, for the most part, Oregon did what Oregon needed to do. They On national TV with the ESPN ABC crew there, you know, they went out and beat a team. They looked physical. Uh, Tyler Shuck did enough. He looked athletic. Um, I think he's going to be a right fit there. And, you know, they, they are right now, I think they are the best team in the North right now, uh, having not been able to see, you know, the likes of Cal and – and Washington yet, but right now I think Oregon's the best team in the North, and if they're going to get to a college football playoff or be considered for that, they have to get more physical up front on defense, uh, and I think they will. I think they will. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be more effective um, and when he starts to relax a little bit more and understand that all the pressure's not on him. You know, He just got to go out and rush the quarterback. That's all he's got to do. He doesn't have to be the big-time run stopper. He doesn't have to be the, the star on the defense. He's going to be a star in his own if he can just go get the quarterback. Yeah, between Thibodeau, Noah Sewell, who you just mentioned, uh, and Justin Flo, that front, I mean, the, the linebacking core is going to be phenomenal. Flo only played 60% of the snaps. I think that they're trying to work him into that defense a little bit. Uh, only one tackle on the game for the number one linebacker recruit in the nation. But again, I think that they're working him in. I was, in, I was impressed with Mikhail Wright. Um, I, I thought that he played really well in the secondary as a guy who, every, you know, had to come in at the top of the depth chart after, some, after Brady Breeze opted out. Ended up actually getting awarded Pac-12 all-second team defense, which I was shocked for, again, for somebody who wasn't even supposed to start this season for the Ducks. So um, I thought that, like like you said, growing pains, right? Every team, every team, this is week one of the Pac-12 season in extenuating circumstances. There's going to be growing pains, um, and we're seeing it in every single game. But my question to you, Ryan, is did Oregon, if, if you're an analyst, if you're an, you are a national football analyst, so you as a national college football analyst, are you, can you sit comfortably with your constituency and say, Oregon showed me today, or Oregon showed me enough in this game to be considered at least for the college football playoff in the back of my mind from here on out? Or was this a, okay, at least we know that they can be good, but a lot more has to be done? I think my answer came out in my top 10. You know, they weren't in it. If they were, they, it would be a different story. Now, they proved me wrong a ton last year, especially down the stretch where I didn't think they had a chance against Utah in that Pac-12 championship. 
and they are well coached. They recruit unbelievably. Mario Cristobal is probably one of the most motive, one of the best motivators out there in terms of getting this team ready to play uh, in, in big opportunities. So I think they can and will improve. I think that if you told me that when this weekend was over that they would have beaten a Stanford team coached by David Shaw, regardless of what the circumstances were, 35 to 14, when that game is normally very, very close regardless, I would say that Oregon's in the conversation. Now, they may be right outside my top 10, but it's going to take a lot to get to the college football playoff, and I just don't know if they have enough of a enough time or a resume when it's all said and done. And that becomes, I mean, look, the onus is on the North, right? The onus has to be on the other teams to be in a position that when they play Oregon, they're good enough that if Oregon wins them with style points, that it actually means something, right? An unranked Washington isn't going to mean that much for the final regular season game. If Washington is a top 25 team, a top 20 team, and Oregon can blow them out with some style points, that's going to mean a lot more. So it's it's just tough. This is a tough situation because a big part of it is out of your control. And also another big part of it is just what's happening nationally with some of these other conferences. Um, the Big 12, we're, we agree. The Big 12 is out. There's no shot. There, You know, Oklahoma State, I thought, was their last chance. You know, and they just... It, it just not not doing it. Oklahoma, I don't think can find a way back around um, with you know 60, 60 point wins over the likes of Kansas. Um, so I think it comes down to uh, one spot. I really do, and I think it comes down to whether that's going to be a Notre whether that's going to be Notre Dame or somebody else. Because I still think it's Clemson, Alabama. Ohio State right now, even after the loss on Saturday night. Uh, they were decimated on defense. But I will say this, Notre Dame impressed the living hell out of me because I did not think that was possible. I thought the defense was going to be able to show up. And what they were able to do in terms of protecting Ian Book, unbelievable. That running back made himself a ton of money at the next level because of his ability to blitz pick up. I'd never seen a running back at college level do it like he did because Clemson got zero pressure on Ian Book all night long. Is there a play that runs through your mind from your college days where you got sacked and you were like, you know what, if my running back just picked up, picked up that blitzer, that would have been a touchdown pass. Is there a play like that? Does something stand out to you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My sophomore year, we were down playing at Arizona and we were coming back in the game. Uh, they had a really good defense Uh you know, Chris McAllister, who played in the NFL for years and years and years for the Ravens and and was a, a great corner for him. And I, I remember um, calling a, a, a max protection uh, so I could throw a quick little slant um, one way to one of my receivers. And they brought a corner blitz from the backside. And my running back, who I think it was the third string running back had got forced into play because it was unseasonably hot that night and guys had really cramped up and he, he just, he went the wrong way on blitz pickup. He went to the right instead of going to the left, I'm turned to throw the slant and McAllister lights me up in the middle of my back and I fumble uh, and they pick it up. And I think they took it to the house uh, and we lose that game by, by I think three or four points. So I remember that one very, very clearly where the running back went, or didn't have the right blitz yeah. pickup protection in a situation where we, where we had a big play probably if, if they if they picked it up. 
If you're a running back, if you're a high school or college running back listening to this, listen to Ryan Leaf, learn how to pick up the blitz because that will that will benefit you more so than almost anything else at the end of the day. At the next level, yeah, because, you know, it's running back by committee at the next level, unless you're Dalvin Cook, really. I mean, if you look around the league right now, there isn't just one back for every Even team. Even Alvin Kamara Bart- has to share carries with Latavius Murray. Yes, everybody does. But if you can pick up blitzing, blitzers, you have a job at that league. I swear to God, quarterbacks will have your back if you can pick up those blitzers. And that young man, what's his name again? I because I, I I don't want to get it wrong. The running back talking- for, for Notre Dame. Oh, it was uh, Kieran or something like that was his first name. But he was so good, and with some crazy blitz pickup that Brent Venables had brought to the table. I mean, it was. Kieran was special. Williams. Kieran, Kieran Williams, excuse me. Yep. Kieran Williams was as good as you can imagine because they got no pressure. And uh that defense got that defense got ate up. And Dabble for the first time, I think, in a long time, um, you know, his clock management was bad. And Ian Book stepped up and became that big time quarterback, big game quarterback that everybody was was asking him to be, and he did that on Saturday night. Does now the Dabble's... fans may have given the fans may have given the whole team COVID, but we'll <laughs> we'll find out when this is when this is oh, all tested. Man, what a mess out there in South Bend. Speaking of, does Dabo get have the LeBron James complex where when a ref makes a call that he disagrees with, if he screams at them enough, they'll just go that way because he's Dabo Sweeney, right? At the end of the, the game, fourth quarter, pass interference call. I've Dabo's livid. He throws his headset off. He's screaming at the ref, and they pick up the flag. Does he give you that? I've confidence? seen a lo- I've seen a lot more of this lately. For some reason, a flag gets thrown, and then the the refs get together and have a conversation, and they pick it up. It, it it's it's troublesome. If yeah. if you're gonna throw the flag, I didn't necessarily think it was that that much of an interference. So I understood uh, Dabo's complaint there. But if you throw the flag, you got to call that. You you can't you can't allow uh, you know somebody who has a bunch of influence on your sideline to. To, to influence that play. It's luckily for, for Notre Dame that it didn't cost them the game. Especially on the road. How do you pick that up on the road after? I don't get it. I mean, that's a lot of sway. If that if that's the yeah. case, if he has that kind of pull, I'm rolling <laughs> with Dabble all day long. Uh, I, I Man, he has more national championships than I'll ever see, so I'll roll with him no matter what. Um, okay, so we went through Washington State, 38-28, uh, Colorado, 48-42. Forty-two. We broke down both of those a little bit. I want to get to BYU here in a second, but let's finish this up with the Pac-12. Um, so, while you 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 mentioned uh, Delora, how impressed you were with him. Tristan Jebby wasn't that bad for uh, for Oregon State. He had a couple of drives that stalled. They, Jamar Jefferson ran the ball. Not Jamar Jefferson. That's the um, yeah. the wide receiver. Yeah, Jamar Jefferson. No, I'm right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Are there two? Isn't there a Vikings wide receiver, Jamar Jefferson, as well? I can't remember his first name, but of course, yeah. Anyways, Jefferson. we'll just say it. We'll just say it is for for my sake. So, um, but overall, obviously, Oregon State defense was what Oregon State defense was. They out got outplayed. Um, for you, besides the Laura, obviously, you mentioned the run game. Great uh, showing for Dion McIntosh, eighteen for one forty-seven and a touchdown. Is this something that can? hold for Washington State as we move forward here in the season we'll see who you know we'll see they play Oregon this weekend so that's we're gonna find out pretty quick how physical they can be if this is you know if they can run it 30 times um and you know defensively they're gonna give him uh give the young freshman 
you know, some different looks. And they're going to be better. They're going to just be flat out better than what he saw on Saturday against Oregon State. So uh, we'll find out a lot more about Nick Rolovich and this team, um, you know, when that game's over on Saturday. But I tell you this, and I told you this when we talked last week, you know, when I texted him, good luck, you know, his he, he didn't quite know what exactly to expect in terms of what the performance would look like on the field, but he did say that they were going to fight. And I, I will say that uh, Coach Dickert has got those boys on defense, um, you know, flying around. And that's going to be hugely important. There is a physical nature to what Nick Rolovich does. And that's the only thing that I think during the whole tenure of the Mike Leach era there was what was missing. They just were not physical. They needed one yard on third and one or fourth and one. They were not going to get it. When you spend the entire game going backwards, in that I mean as an offensive lineman in the air raid offense, you are always going backwards. Then you're going to ask them to go right. forward in the biggest moment in the game. It's just not there. Nick Rolovich and this football team are going to fight. They're going to get down in the dirt. And it's going to make it a, in, in Oregon and Washington State games have been unbelievably entertaining and fun. And I think we're going to see another one this week. Yeah, Jaden Delora from St. Louis High School. Sam High School is Tua. Sam High School is Marcus Mariota. He was supposed to go to, to Hawaii, but then Norlovich got the job at Washington State, flipped his commitment to Washington State, and first true freshman to start for this team. I mean, what a what a first, first game, game. First, first true freshman to start the first game. The first Drew Bledsoe game, was right, a right. yeah. Bledsoe was a true freshman when he got his first start later in the year under Mike Price. But uh, yeah, really impressed. Freshman of the week in the Pac-12. Uh, his skill position players are the same guys that were great last year. They caught a ton of passes, right? Um, but he's got guys that he can focus in on now. Not it. Not everybody's going to catch it. Catch the football. You know, you're not going to have when the stat sheet's all done. And you're not going to see 12 wide receivers with five catches, right? You're going to find the best guy and you're going to go to him a bunch. And you might have a guy that has, you know, 15 catches in the game for a couple hundred yards. They're running the ball well. Um, Max Borgie didn't even play. Yeah, that, that that bodes well for this offense and for this Cougar football team. 38-28, Washington stayed off to a 1-0 start in the Nick Rolovich era. All right, BYU. People are talking about BYU like it's the presidential uh, the presidential election. So, Zach Wilson is has to be in the Heisman conversation. BYU is the lone independent. They're 8-0. They beat Boise State on the road. I know extraordinary circumstances surrounding the offense, but it was so convincing it didn't even matter. First time that they beat Boise State at home, um, or on the road, I should say, at home for Boise State. And people, I mean, I've seen, I watched, I looked at the breakdown this week of uh, the AP voters, every single AP voter from around the country and the teams that they put in to, you know, into their 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 polls every week uh and more had byu over oregon obviously byu is rated higher um what's your take on byu are they a legitimate playoff contender and if they are is there a chance that maybe the pac-12 offers them because they may be the best shot at the pac-12 getting a team in the college football playoff in the near future i don't think so i mean and I this may be the year that they get in just simply because it's 2020 and I would love for them to, to get in as the fourth team, not because I think they would do well. I think everybody in the world will could finally shut up and see when they get, you know, boot stomped by the likes of Clemson, Ohio state or Alabama. Um, what the NCAA should do and what the group of five, you know, group of five athletic directors should do. They should make their own final four. They should make their own playoff. You would have this year probably Coastal Carolina, Cincinnati, BYU, 
And BYU's you know, an independent, though. They would fight that, wouldn't they? I mean, they're a Mountain West team, in my opinion. I don't think they're, you know, they beat USC last year. They have those, you know, I called they beat the Tennessee upset. last year, too. Well, that's not saying a lot these days. Tennessee, um, okay, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. okay. Um, the, Tennessee lost to Georgia State, by the way. Um, yes, you were on that call as well. I remember. BYU beat Boise State last year with their third string quarterback, too. So, you know, it's, it's the Mountain West to me. Now, what Zach Wilson's been able to do and his arm strength and his ability, I, I think, says a lot. Um, but I, I, I still look at them as a group of five type of team. I'd love to see them get the opportunity and it just be an absolute blowout and everybody could shut up. But I still that, don't think that's going to happen. Is Zach Wilson a first-round pick? He may be moving himself towards that direction. He's got one of the strongest arms I've seen. I, and it's jumped up a level because we weren't seeing it at the beginning of last year or the year before. He's gotten stronger. He's gotten smarter. Uh, and uh, he's definitely putting himself in a position to make a, a lot more money than he was before this season even started. He's a perfect example of a guy getting the chance to play this year that is going to probably put himself in a position to be one of the highest drafted quarterbacks next April. For continuity purposes, if BYU somehow made it to the college football playoff, they would have wins against Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech, Texas San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, and they end the season versus Northern Alabama and San Diego State. Not necessarily the strongest schedule. I would, I think their SOS is like 60-something in the country. Um, so it has to be by style points. They're, they're wrecking teams. But again, the board is just – you'd be you're right. If they go in as the fourth team and they face Alabama, Clemson, Northern – I mean, it doesn't matter. I'll put anybody there. They're going to get blown up. So um, I'm with you. But I, I like the story. I think the story is cool. You know, yeah, great story. It's a great storyline. Zach Wilson, it's a great storyline. Yeah. You know, they're playing through this pandemic. They're in Utah, right? The pandemic is ravaging the state of Utah, and BYU is doing a tremendous job of responsibility, accountability, and being able to play week in, week out. Well, that's all the games, and we threw in a little college football playoff BYU conversation, not to mention Notre Dame Clemson. Is there anything? You know what? I want to give a shout out to Jake Luton really quickly. He almost won a game for the Jaguars in his first ever start. The Oregon State, the Oregon State former quarterback last year, who's a two-star recruit, gets a start for the Jags. They lose 27 to 25, but honestly, it's the Jaguars. So what do you expect? So shout out. I want to give a shout out to Jake Luton. I was I was proud of my boy today, or I guess Sunday, yesterday. What, what's yeah, your NFL he, he, take right now? Um, who, who from the NFC is going to, you know, two weeks ago, I thought it was Tampa Bay after they destroyed green Bay. Right. And after last night, you'd have to say, how is new Orleans not the favorite right now? But I have no idea who's going to come from the NFC. We know who's coming from the AFC. I, I, no matter how close some of these games are with, with Kansas city, when push comes to shove, I do not know who's going to be able to, to, to figure out a way to beat. Uh, the Chiefs, even though the Pittsburgh Steelers are still undefeated, uh, they're just not as explosive on, enough on offense, I don't think, uh, to reel it in when it's all said and done. So I'm really interested to see what the NFC is going to look like. You got the likes of Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Seattle, um, New Orleans, Minnesota's throwing their hat in the mix now. What they're doing, running the football, Kirk Cousins has kind of been put to the backstop and said, hey, just manage this. We got a star in Dalvin Cook and what he can do. Defensively, they're always going to be good with Zimmer. So uh, Arizona's a conversation. Um, 
you know, it's it's interesting. I I made a I made it you know a pretty boastful comment a week ago where I said that I think Miami is going to win the AFC East, and who knows, two in that crew may get that it done. Buffalo, too. Buffalo look really good. So the next time they play, Miami's got to go up to Buffalo to play later in the year. If it was coming down to Miami, I might think the other way, but you know, it's going to be a fun final. You know, eight weeks of the season. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I saw a stat this morning that said that the Eagles have a better chance of winning the NFC than the Steelers do of winning the AFC. That's just how crazy, I mean, how crazy bad the NFC is, but it makes it so interesting that an Eagles team that's what, two, four, six, and one has the shot, it's, has the better per- percentage of winning the NFC than an eight and no team. Um, I agree. I think this has been crazy. Fan- Dalvin Cook has saved my fantasy season so far. Um, and, uh, and Russell Wilson almost lost my fantasy season on Sunday because he decided to have a very obscure game. But that happens. Uh, Ryan, let's wrap this thing up because we have another podcast on Thursday to break down the upcoming games for Week 2 in the Pac-12. But before we do that, where can all of our lovely and loyal listeners and followers find you this week? This week, we got to jump back in now that the Pac-12 is going. We're, we're, doing, we're back on Sirius XM Channel 373 doing uh, um, Pac-12 radio. Me and Roxy Bernstein are going to break it down tomorrow. we got Kirk Herbstreet on the show. He's going to talk about the Oregon-Stanford game. Looking forward to that. And then in the afternoon tomorrow, we're gonna be, uh, I'm going to be with Jason Horowitz on ESPNU talking about everything nationally. Probably going to get pretty deep into the Notre Dame-Clemson game. And, you know, a lot of – I put Notre Dame number one on my top ten because I thought it was the most impressive win this year. I really I really did. Uh, a lot of blo- – a lot of – a lot of feedback from Alabama and uh, Clemson fans <laughs> because of uh, their lack of defense, their best player, and, and Trevor Lawrence not playing. And I said, well, you know, quarterback wasn't the issue on uh, on Saturday night. Uh, I will say this. They didn't convert on third down as much as, as Trevor Lawrence probably would have. I think they were three for 15, which, is, which was horrible. Um, Trevor Lawrence is much better at that. They would have continued more drives. Notre Dame wouldn't have the ball as much. Um, so that's where you can find me this week. Pac-12, uh, believe in the Pac-12, we'll go again on Thursday, check out these games, and uh, you know, we're just trying to get it ramped up again. You know, For me, I've been, been a preschool teacher at home for a while, so uh, I'm looking forward to this for the next few weeks. Preschool teacher by day, and you are a football teacher by whenever we decide to do this podcast, so evening today. Uh, I will be back for Just Recruiting with Jonathan Rifkind on all streaming platforms Tuesdays and Thursdays this week. I will also be uh, co-hosting Fox Sports Southland, the show that rocks the Southland with Lawton Swan. That's an ACC Clemson show. Uh, looking forward to that. That That's in 250 markets across the southern United States. Uh, but I think that'll do it for Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. Thank you so much for tuning in to Believe in the Pac-12. Hit that rate, review, and subscribe button. We'll be back on Thursday evening, if not early Friday morning, to get you caught up on everything that you need for week two of the Pac-12. Maybe throw a little bit of national football in there as well. Enjoy the rest of your week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.